Welcome to the Locked On Grizzlies podcast. My name is Sean Coleman. I hope wherever you are and wherever you are listening, you are having a wonderful and fantastic start to your Friday. Obviously, it is the end of the week. It's been great weather outside. College football and NFL football are on the horizon this weekend, so a lot to look forward to. But yet another week and another trade for the Grizzlies. If there was a good way to describe this offseason for the Memphis Grizzlies, it may be hashtag weekly Woj bomb. But this time around, instead of being something of significant value or something of, of really truly any significance at all, the significance of this deal for the Memphis Grizzlies is, of course, what may be a symbolic send-off. Today, the Grizzlies trade the rights to Wong Jolene, the 57th overall pick, the Grizzlies' 2016 second-round pick, who is 57 overall, they send his rights to the Los Angeles Lakers. In exchange, the Grizzlies get a 2024 second-round pick, as well as a veteran by the name of Mark Gasol. That is correct. The Grizzlies have acquired Mark Gasol from the Lakers for the second time in his career. It truly is a matter of Mark Gasol's career going full circle. He was traded to the Grizzlies from the Lakers for his brother at the 2008 NBA trade deadline, and now, over 13 years later, he once again is traded back to the Grizzlies. Now, the thing about it is this, is that Mark Gasol will very likely, as a matter of fact, I'll even go as far as like Drew Hill, the Daily Memphian mentioned, Drew, Mark Gasol is not going to play another game in the Grizzlies uniform. The Grizzlies already are crowded as is with their roster, and it seems as if this could be a sign of the end of Mark Gasol's career. A symbolic send-off, though, with the fact that he has been acquired by the franchise he called home for 11 years. But as far as his situation goes with the Grizzlies, the Grizzlies will take on his contract. They will allow for Mark Gasol to remain in Spain with his family and will work out an eventual waiver and release of Mark Gasol. But the beautiful thing about it is this, is that even though Mark Gasol will not play another game in a Grizzlies uniform, and besides the symbolism of the fact that his that his career is coming full circle, his career starting out and ending in the same way, it's also the fact that Mark Gasol's rights end with the Grizzlies. And it also perhaps opens up the door for Mark Gasol to be involved this year in the jersey retirements of Tony Allen as well as Zach Randolph. But maybe even, maybe though it may not be this year, this could also start the path to the eventual jersey retirement of Mark Gasol as well. Next week, obviously, we'll get a bit more into just what Mark Gasol careers means. A career that likely will eventually be a Hall of Fame career for Big Spain, but this could truly be the send-off of Big Spain, and it's great that it's going to come via him returning to the Grizzlies, at least when it comes to his basketball career, ending the same way that it started with the team that he has meant so much too. But of course, you also have to, you know, tip your cap to the Grizzlies. Once again, finding a way to being able to add a future second round pick. We know Memphis loves having a cupboard of second round picks. They traded, I believe, three of them over the past two years to acquire Desmond Bain and Santi Aldama in trades up to the last pick of the first round. Well, now through the Grayson Allen trade, as well as taking on this trade for Mark Gasol, as well as potentially taking... or in the uh, Juancho Hernan Gomez trade, the Grizzlies have been able to restock their cupboard of second-round picks. So all in all, it certainly is a beneficial trade for the Memphis Grizzlies. Whenever you can pull off a trade that involves symbolic symbolism regarding arguably the best player to ever put on your team's uniform, and you also get a pick in return as well, it's a trade that you make every time. Though nothing is official as of yet, this certainly seems to be the steps that are going to be taken for the end of Mark Gasol's career and what a wonderful career it has been. And it becomes even more significant and wonderful that it's going to end with him being a part of the Grizzlies franchise. With any other moves that may occur due to this trade, we'll certainly keep you posted here on the Locked on Grizzlies podcast. But as for today's show, 
a really fun conversation, as I had mentioned yesterday, with Matt George, host of the Locked On Kings podcast. Me and Matt dive into comparing Ja Morant and De'Aaron Fox, two players who are very similar in terms of their career so far, literally almost identical when it comes to the type of impact that they have as scores on the court, but also how do they differ? What do their futures look like? Who would you rather have from different perspectives going forward? All that coming up in this great conversation with Matt George. It's wonderful to welcome Marcus all back. We'll have more on that next week. And it's also wonderful to have this conversation with Matt George comparing John Morant with another one of the really good young point guards coming up in the NBA. Hope you enjoy the conversation with Matt George of Locked On Kings discussing and comparing the present and futures of John Morant and De'Aaron Fox. Matt George here of the Locked On Kings podcast, joined by Sean Coleman from the Locked On Grizzlies. And Sean, I am here to finally get you and Grizzlies fans to admit that De'Aaron Fox is a better player than John Morant. You think you can do that for me today? To an extent. First off, hello, Matt George. How are you? Long time no see. And to all you and your Sacramento fans, hope you get Ben Simmons. That's a conversation for another time. But first off, congratulations to you and your family on being a father. But second off, yes, individually, the Aaron Fox was better than John Morant last year. However, I will say I think John Morant had the season that De'Aaron Fox wishes he had. We're going to dive into this because all joking aside, for some reason, De'Aaron and Ja have been compared really since Ja got halfway through his rookie season. And it's been not just a comparison, it's been a who would you rather have? So much so that this has gotten on NBA talk shows and even gotten reactions out of De'Aaron Fox. I don't know if John Morant has ever reacted to anything like this. And it's become suddenly a, a, a debate between two franchises and two fan bases. Now, of course, Kings fans and myself are, are typically going to side with De'Aaron. Uh, Memphis Grizzlies fans and yourself, Sean, are typically going to side with John Morant. And that's okay. And instead of this just being like a first take screaming match about why each player is better, we're really going to look at some of the numbers, how eerily similar these two players are in a lot of ways, where each player has the advantage over the other, and do our best to try and figure out which one is better objectively in different areas because different players have different legs up. Uh, John Morant certainly has more experience in some areas of postseason basketball than De'Aaron Fox has. And De'Aaron Fox has overall more experience in the NBA than John Morant has. So that's going to affect some things. But overall, Sean, when talking about these two players and talking about what the each franchise has as their guy, their cornerstone, their scoring guard, both are in pretty good hands. Exactly. And and that's the thing that kind of is the first area where I think that you would compare the two, Matt, is that for two franchises who were in the midst of really needing a player to the level of what Fox is and what Jaw is, Memphis has never had a talent like John Morant with the upside John Morant has. It's been a while, probably nearly two decades, I would say, since the Kings have had someone who had a who has a ceiling that De'Aaron Fox showed he had this year. So you have the franchise cornerstone aspects of things when it comes to young point guards. That's the comparison. You've also got the player profiles. Two players who are naturally athletic to the advantage of, they've got the physical advantage against 85 to 90% of the guards they're typically facing. With De'Aaron, it's the speed and just the quickness of how he operates. With Jaw, it's the functional athleticism. And then the other thing that really makes them compare is though they are as strong as they are, you know, in terms of their natural games and natural physical ability, it's the clear weakness on offense. What's going to take them to the next level of being maybe top five point guards in the league? The inconsistent shot. Can they improve that? So on those three levels, I think that's why it's very makes a lot of logical sense to compare both of them early in their careers. And for these or this conversation today, there's two areas that we're going to look at things. We're going to look at statistics uh, and we're going to look at the eye test because you can't measure everything uh, that a player does just based off of a box score. But when looking at the statistics for these two players, there are some clear advantages for De'Aaron Fox, which we would expect in terms of overall numbers because Fox has played uh, two more seasons than John Morant has in the NBA. So when numbers are similar, 
it almost gives the edge to John Morant right there because he has less experience uh, and is younger than De'Aaron Fox is. However, at the same time, too, statistics can skew in favor of John Morant because there's not as big of a sample size. He hasn't had to do it for as long as De'Aaron Fox has. And really, if you look at Fox's overall numbers and you take away his inconsistencies and his just learning the game in his first season and maybe a little bit of his second season figuring out how to be a dynamic scorer that he now is uh, you take those numbers away his numbers are are way way higher which we're going to jump into but Sean overall the numbers between these two players when you're just talking about talking about their individual numbers overall are are strikingly similar you look at the per game numbers overall throughout their careers and John Moran actually has De'Aaron in scoring by point two uh, their shooting percentages are very similar De'Aaron has a very slight edge from three-point range what's crazy is both shoot or average the exact same field goal amounts per game 6.7 uh, and John Moran averages 0.1 more field goals attempted per game than De'Aaron so those speak to in their careers how how similar they've been, but you pointed out to me their per 36 minutes and how not just similar, almost dead on they are. If you want to share some of those. Yeah. In terms of, and of course we're looking at basically De'Aaron Fox has doubled the sample size that John Morant has, and there's been a much higher variance from the floor that De'Aaron started at to the ceiling he's reached versus the level that John Morant's been on, which basically evens out as to being the, being them similar players on a per 36 basis. Both average 20.9 points per game. John Morant averages 4.5 rebounds, while De'Aaron Fox averages four rebounds. They both take 16, I think De'Aaron Fox takes 16.7 shots for 36 minutes, John Morant 16.5, and De'Aaron Fox shoots 46.3% to John Morant's 45.8. So you basically, when it comes to the scoring ability of both players, they're about as similar as two players can get in terms of their scoring rates when they're on the court. Now, they're if you go outside of scoring, you still keep them kind of on the same level, but in different ways. De'Aaron Fox, his ability to create turnovers and play defense. He's a better two-way talent than John Morant. But I do think that the offensive ceiling, the offensive value with Jaw is a bit higher because I do think there's a relevant difference between his ability to elevate his teammates' play and his playmaking ability over De'Aaron Fox's. That is not an insult to either player. It's just a type of player profile. Though they're strikingly similar with how they score, outside of that, they differ a bit. But at the end of the day, you come back to both players being highly effective players for both the Grizzlies and the Kings. The time has finally arrived. The time that we have all been waiting for. The 2021 NFL season is finally here. And it got off to a great kickoff last night with an incredible game between the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Dallas Cowboys. And if you're a fan of wagering and betting on sports, but especially the NFL, as always, BetOnline is your number one spot for all your pro and college football action this season. Get all the updated odds, props, and contests, including online's biggest half-million-dollar NFL Mega Contest and the world's largest $200,000 NFL Survivor Contest, open now at BetOnline. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today, put in the promo code Locked On, and receive your 100% welcome bonus. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports, from football, basketball, boxing, right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait and take advantage of all the great offers available for the 2021 season. BetOnline, your online sportsbooks experts. Visit BetOnline.ag today. Does this sound familiar? You've got one device that lets you catch the game live, another that lets you stream your favorite shows, you're watching your sports highlights on your phone, and you've got your neighbor's best friend's login for the good stuff. Well, I want to tell you this. I've experienced that before. Not exactly that, but a similar situation. I want to tell you about a simple way to get all that entertainment you love without the hassle. And that's a great way to get to finally get all your TV together. It's called Direct TV Stream, and it brings your live TV and on-demand favorites together like never before so you can watch your favorite sports, movies, and shows all in one place. That means no more juggling remotes and no need to buy another device ever again. And the best part, there's no annual contract. So get rid of the clutter and the confusion and get your TV together with DirecTV Stream. You can learn more at directtv.com. That's directtv.com. Compatible device required. Contents vary by package. We know there are a lot of Kings fans and Memphis Grizzlies fans listening to this, obviously, and uh, it's hard for you to remove your bias. I understand 
uh, and maybe your mind is already made up, but I want to challenge you to really listen to this conversation and look at these numbers, look at these two players, take that bias out of it, objectively answer two questions. One, and this first one might be easy for every fan base. Who would you rather have on your roster right now? I think both fan bases are going to stick with their guys. But number two is who would you start your franchise with if it was a clean slate day one? None of these players were on your roster and you're, this is your first pick between those two guys because those are very uh, different questions. Do you go younger with John Moran, even though his numbers are eerily similar? Do you take the upside that De'Aaron Fox showed in his last season? Uh, be sure to uh, to let us know. Reach us both uh, on Twitter. and We would love to hear your answers uh, to those questions. But then the, we talk about the, the head-to-head numbers, Sean, when these two players players have played. And I want to make sure that I'm being, again, removing as much bias as possible and being as fair as possible. I look at these head to head numbers and this doesn't surprise me because it looked this way in the eye test as well. De'Aaron Fox has dominated the one-on-one matchups so far between uh, himself and John Morant. Am I being fair there or am I, am I undercutting and underselling John Morant in the, in the Memphis Grizzlies a little bit? I don't think you're underselling John Moran and the Memphis Grizzlies. I think you may be underselling De'Aaron Fox a bit. De'Aaron Fox has kicked our ass when he's played us over the past two years. The reason why we, if I remember correctly, towards the end of last season, De'Aaron Fox didn't play in either of those games, or at least I think he played in one of those games in which we came and played Sacramento back-to-back, but he wasn't at 100%. Regardless, when De'Aaron Fox has been on the court, the Sacramento Kings have been the better team when facing the Memphis Grizzlies head-to-head. And it's not in any way, shape, or form an insult to John Moran. One of the weaknesses of his game right now is his defense, especially on ball defense. Is that something that ever comes a clear strength in compared to the rest of the NBA? I don't know. It may not be. But one thing that he has struggled in is that facing players that are at his athleticism or maybe even a bit higher in Fox's case, that's not an ideal matchup for John Morant. So John Morant's been the guy who's been primarily tasked with taking on De'Aaron Fox. The results don't surprise me. Now, as time goes on, and this Grizzlies team is coming off a top 10 season, I would venture to say that their matchups may be closer going forward. But yes, if you go by, go by pure head-to-head numbers, De'Aaron Fox certainly has the advantage. Assuming these numbers in front of me are accurate, um, five meetings between the two, and the Kings in those five meetings have a 3-2 and two record against Morant and the Grizzlies, which is not blow your socks off impressive but when you're looking at the individual numbers between these two and remember the majority of the minutes that they're playing have been against each other which is what everybody wants when the memphis grizzlies and kings are playing you don't want to see tyrese halliburton on jaw morant you want to see jaw versus fox and thankfully for the most part we have gotten that and in all five games fox has outscored morant in all five games fox has out rebounded morant uh they're actually tied with assists uh both have or both each have two games where uh they've outscored the other in assists and then had the same stat in one of the games, which is pretty crazy. Uh, And then in all five games, De'Aaron has defensively been better, had more steals. But when you look at the scoring between the two, Fox's scoring is 24.6 points per game in those games against Morant and Morant's numbers are still impressive, but 18.2. So that's a pretty significant gap. What's interesting though, to your point that you talked about earlier is Morant as a facilitator, where Morant has the edge over Fox is as a passer. Uh, he averages 6.8 assists to Fox's 6.2. So not a massive gap, but that speaks to what you're talking about. The reason why Fox's uh, or the Kings only have a three and two record, even though Fox has dominated the individual matchup with John Morant, is that when Morant wasn't scoring, he was still able to facilitate and help his teammates win, which is also why many argue, and, and we saw last season, the Memphis Grizzlies are a better team than the Sacramento Kings are. Yeah, and, and I'll first off start by saying this. If y'all want to put Tyrese Halliburton on job when we face the Kings, you are more than welcome to. I am sending this out as a request to Luke Walton. Let Halliburton guard Morant. All kidding aside, we'll put Dylan on. We'll put Dylan on Fox. We, we like that matchup. No, all kidding aside. No, you hit the nail on the head. And that's the other thing about it that I think also stands out about the potential upside between these two players. You know, we talked about it before we recorded this show, Matt. De'Aaron Fox probably right now has the ability to more consistently perhaps take over games, or at least in the early part of last season, take over games as a score. And it was needed because that's how this Kings won games. They won games by being able to outscore their opponents. That's nothing on Fox. It's just, you know, that's a weakness. Defense is a weakness of the 
roster. With Jaw, he got better as the season went along. Several of the times Jaw has scored more than 30 points in his career, it's been against higher quality teams because those higher quality defenses really limited other players outside of Jaw from playing offense. So Jaw had to take over as the ultimate score. What well, hasn't correlated well with wins for us. With us, it's when Jaw can balance being a good scorer as well as being someone that could be a playmaker. But when Jaw steps needs to step up as a scorer, he showed two great opportunities to do that. The playing game against Golden State at Golden State to get to the playoffs, game two to almost still a second game against Utah in Utah. So Jaw has the ability to step up and be that ultimate score, that unstoppable score that the Grizzlies need, but he also can balance it with playmaking so you may not see it as frequently as you did with De'Aaron Fox last season. When it comes to the eye test, um, there's a lot of things that you can look at when it comes to these two players. I mean, you could talk about an area that John Morant has experienced in just two seasons that Fox has not gotten to yet, which is the postseason air quotes, technically. I mean, John Morant and the, the Memphis Grizzlies last season made the play-in tournament. The Kings would have loved to make the play-in tournament. Ultimately, they didn't. A lot of that also had to do with some injuries to the team and, and unfortunately De'Aaron Fox getting um, COVID-19 at the end of last season, but we can't hold that against John Morant. He has gotten his team to at least the play in tournament. And when he did get to opportunity to perform on that stage, he absolutely shined averaging what 30 points per game during, uh, during the, that play in tournament, which I mean, that speaks to John Morant's ability to step up as that major scorer in those big moments, just like De'Aaron Fox stepped up and proved that he could be that major scorer for the Sacramento Kings. And when Fox did step up in Sacramento, the Kings went on big winning streaks, both stretches where Fox won uh, player of the week. The Kings won like eight out of nine games. Unfortunately, they followed that up with nine game losing streaks both times, which is just insane to talk about. But uh, what we've talked a lot about here in Sacramento, I'm curious your opinion on this, is of course we want to see Memphis and, and Jaw in a seven-game series. I'd love to see the Grizzlies and the Kings going at each other in a seven-game series. But if Fox gets the stage, like John Morant got last year, to perform, Fox is going to do what John Morant did maybe and then some. I'm curious your thoughts on De'Aaron getting that stage and how John Morant took that stage and elevated himself to that next level. Yeah, no, it, it'll be interesting to see. If you match up the Grizzlies versus the Kings at some point in time in the near future, I think one of the things that it'll certainly be with the way that the two teams are going on trajectory-wise, it would be with Memphis in the top four of the West and the Kings in the bottom four. That's not meant as an insult. It's just the fact that the Grizzlies have been, have a, you know, they've had more success under Jaw than the Kings have under De'Aaron Fox. But if they both were to match up against each other, the question that I that comes that comes down to me is, what's the resourcefulness on offense? for De'Aaron versus what it is for Jaw. If Jaw gets stopped, and it's not likely you're going to stop him, you can limit him a bit, especially if his shot's not there. But if Jaw gets stopped, how is he going to be able to make up for it by making his teammates better? It's his passing. It's his ability to set up the defense, his ability to help the Grizzlies turn defense into offense. Jaw's resourcefulness is certainly there in terms of creating for others. With De'Aaron Fox, I could you could argue right now he's a more resourceful individual scoring than Jaw is. But even to that extent, if the Grizzlies, who are a very good defensive team, they're going to likely, especially if they play back-to-back -back games against the Kings, they're going to be able to limit De'Aaron Fox. Can De'Aaron Fox step up and be that ultimate playmaker to elevate, elevate his teammates to get wins? Does he have that ability? I, you know, I'm not going to say I'm an expert because I don't follow the Kings that much, but does he have that ability? I'm sure it's there. But is it fair to question him having the ability more than you question Ja? Certainly. So right now, I think if they put a head-to-head -head matchup together, I would trust Ja more than I would De'Aaron Fox because of Ja's ability outside of his own ability to elevate his teammates' play than De'Aaron's. See, this is where we really start to differentiate then because I don't know if it's possible to even stop De'Aaron Fox. I think Fox's biggest limitations are upon himself, and that's something that he talked about at the end of last season was he knows that if the Kings are going to be a good team to ever get to a point that Memphis got to last year and beyond, hopefully, both these teams making the actual playoffs and not just the play-in, if the Kings are ever going to get there, Fox has to be at minimum good. 
there cannot be any fair or fine games for De'Aaron Fox anymore. And especially on that stage, I expect the bare minimum that you would get out of De'Aaron Fox is good. I don't know if Memphis, as good as they are defensively, I don't know if you can do anything to stop De'Aaron, especially if he's getting more confident with shooting the basketball. But now if Fox does have a bad scoring game or a, a slow scoring night, um, he does have the potential to be a solid playmaker. And I think to be close to, if not at Jaws level as a playmaker, the thing is though, will the Kings look for that from him now that they have Tyrese Halliburton, who's a primary ball handler facilitator, who's playing alongside him, not to mention Davion Mitchell, which we don't know what his role is going to be uh, as a guard. So first off, the Kings don't necessarily lean on one guard, like, like the Suns do on Chris Paul to be their go-to facilitator. Um, and, but if they were, I think that they would lean more John or rather uh, Tyrese Halliburton over De'Aaron Fox in that setting, which kind of fuels into your point that that's more of Morant's game. But I don't know if I I would go as far as to say that if those two teams were to meet and have back-to-back matchups, that the Grizzlies would be able to make the correct adjustments to completely stop De'Aaron. I don't know if that's possible based off of what he's shown last year. Now, is he at like LeBron James or Giannis Antetokounmpo status? Absolutely not. Uh, but Fox has shown with his ability to now shoot and stretch his game outside that even if you're cutting off um, lanes to the basket, he can still be an effective scorer. And that actually, that, that, that goes back to the point that I had made about right now, you maybe could make the argument that in terms of pure scoring ability, De'Aaron Fox right now may be better than John Morant. But the other side to that is this, is that that may actually fall into the Grizzlies' hands as well. They may not be able to limit or stop Fox, but if they don't, what they can then do, and this takes it away from Jaw and De'Aaron, if you want Fox to take over as a scorer, let him. The Grizzlies are a good enough defensive team, in my opinion, to limit others from adding to what Fox can do to win the game. The difference, in my opinion, Matt, between, between Jaw and De'Aaron is De'Aaron can be that ultimate scoring monster if he needs to. Jaw can do that as well. But even if the other team gets the idea of, okay, let Jaw be Jaw, we'll stop the other guys, I think Jaw has a higher ceiling of overcoming that strategy to still set up his teammates and elevate those their games, even if he is being that scoring monster. I think that he could do that at a higher level than De'Aaron Fox may be able to. So that's the reason why I compare them is because I do think ultimately Jaw is more balanced, is just is more naturally intelligent when it comes to that type of things because he focuses more on it. I'm not saying that De'Aaron doesn't, but Jaw is uh, it, it was looked at as being an unbelievable playmaker coming into the league. Now his scoring and playmaking ability balance, I think that combination with him is a bit higher, or at least has a higher ceiling going forward than De'Aaron's does. And I think that leads perfectly into a part of this conversation that is necessary to have, even though we're talking about individual players and comparing two players, supporting cast is such Uh, an important part of this conversation. They're they're not necessarily going to give either player the edge over the other. And correct me if I'm wrong, but when looking at these two rosters, I think it's fair to say that in terms of names, the Kings have the sexier roster. But in terms of a better team, Memphis has proven that they have the better roster just based off of how they've performed so far. And that weighs in to this conversation to where I don't know if I trust the Sacramento Kings team to be able to come together and support Fox when he's having an off night or compliment Fox in all the ways he's needed to be complimented. Like we've seen Memphis compliment John Morant to where jaw can have that 30 point performance in the playoffs when the Memphis Grizzlies absolutely need him to, but on other nights they can gear back to his 18 points per game or 19 points per game average and allow him to facilitate. And that still leads to a Memphis Grizzlies win. That's an advantage that Morant has with Memphis that I don't know Fox has. It's actually, in fact, I know Fox doesn't have that advantage in Sacramento because he needs to score close to 30 points a game or he needed to last year for this Kings team to be able to win consistently. Yeah. In terms of individual offensive upside, when you have players like a Buddy Heald, a Harrison Barnes, of course, a Tyrese Halliburton, you know, you've got those individual offensive players who can, you know, create their own shot at pretty good abilities for their size and they can play good offense, but do they consistently play together as a team on offense or do they consistently, especially play together as a team on defense. I think that's fair to question, but that's an area where the Grizzlies, I think, are better than the than, than the um, 
uh, Kings. They naturally just have players, their featured players. When you compare a Dylan, a Kyle, a De'Anthony Melton to other similar players on the Kings roster, the defensive upside for the Grizzlies players is far superior, in my opinion. But also the reason why, though the Grizzlies roster may have more defensive upside while the Kings has more offensive upside, that's where Jaw comes into play. He's the connection that can allow for those players that are good defensively to be better offensively. And I think that's why the Grizzlies have reached a level under Jaw that the Kings not, have not necessarily had under De'Aaron Fox. Now, if we want to solve both teams' problems, and swap De'Anthony De Melton for Tyrese Halliburton. That's a conversation we could have. For, we Stop that's it. a conversation conversation we could have for another time. But all joking aside, I do think that one of the things that really stands out about the difference between these two teams, it's not necessarily Jaw and De'Aaron. Like there's a significant difference between them overall as talents. I think where Jaw is his strongest, and the fact that the Grizzlies have a roster that is better in terms of two-way production, I think that stands out for the, the Grizzlies' favor versus the Kings with De'Aaron. When it comes to the Memphis Grizzlies and the Sacramento Kings, I think it's fair to suggest that both Ja Morant and De'Aaron Fox are the engines that make their teams run, respectively. And as time goes on, for those teams to be as good as they possibly can, you're going to have to upgrade the parts that surround uh, Ja Morant and DeAnthony Fox. Well, the same idea can apply to your own car. Your engine is great, but to keep it running as effectively as possible and make your car perform as good as it can, you're going to have to upgrade parts as well. And there's no better place to find that than rockauto.com. For one, you can easily find what you need within a few clicks of the button, no matter the make and model or the part that's needed, you'll likely find it at rockauto.com. And regardless of your experience level, when it comes to the parts that you need to repair cars, rockauto.com is very cost-friendly. This is a family-owned business. They've been in business over 20 years. They know that sometimes car repairs fall out of budget. New parts fall out of budget, so they try to make things as economically feasible as possible. When you visit rockauto.com, let them know the Locked On Podcast Network sent you. rockauto.com, amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the car parts you'll ever need. Visit rockauto.com today. I'm sure that we all would love a way to make our day better by eating healthier, but also in a way that would taste great. Well, the option that allows for you to do that is Built Bar, the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar, the best tasting protein bar out there on the market. Have it in the morning as breakfast, in the afternoon as a snack. And if you go to Built.com right now, you can choose from over 18 different flavors to make your day better through Built Bar. And the great thing is, is that none of them are bad choices. You may prefer one to the other. But either way, your day's going to be made better. And if you go to Built.com right now, you put in the promo code LOCKED15. That is LOCKED15 from Built.com. From Built you will get 15% off your next order from Built Bar. Make it a part of your day. Make your day better. Go to Built.com right now. Put in the promo code LOCKED15. Choose a few flavors that you like and make Built Bar a part of your day today. I have a couple of tough questions that just popped into my mind. If the Kings and Grizzlies combined rosters, meaning we could pick 16 players to be on a team out of both these teams, they're now the Sacramento Grizzlies or the Memphis Kings. Who is Batman and who is Robin? Is De'Aaron the Batman and Morant Robin? Is Morant the sidekick to Fox right now or vice versa in your mind? Because I, I can make arguments to both. Jaws, Batman, De'Aaron's Robin. Okay, why? Because Jaw has the ability to impact games at higher levels on offense. He can impact games at higher levels offensively in multiple ways than De'Aaron can. And when it comes to you talking about a Robin and that Batman-Robin scenario, a two-way player is certainly nice to have. But that value defensively probably does not carry as much value, in my opinion, as having a multiple, you know, resourceful offensive game like Jaw does. While De'Aaron may be the, the go-to scorer at times. Overall, I think whose hands would you rather have the ball in in crunch time? The upside is more with Jaws, Batman, than is De'Aaron. See, this is – and I knew when asking this question that there's no way that we were going to come to an agreement with this, just like I know there's no way either fan base is going to come to agreement with this. And it also speaks to, like we've talked about, how similar these two players are, because I, I feel like I can make almost the same argument in Fox's favor sure. over Morant, just with Fox's ability. He showed last year 
and more consistently, I felt, than John Morant. Fox showed last year that when he needed to take over, when he needed to do what a superstar does in the NBA, he did it. Now, Morant showed that on the play-in tournament level and blew all of our minds. So not taking that from jaw away from jaw at all. I've just personally seen, and that now I also watch more Kings basketball, I've just personally seen Fox do it more. And like we've talked about in head-to-head matchups between the two players, Fox has been a better overall player than jaw has just when the two have played together or played against each other. So that's where I would go there. But in the end, I know that tough question was more going to be a, a, a you versus me type argument. The other tough question that I have though, and I think this is more, more broad and more open for legitimate discussion and less debate is when both of these players do take over games, right? When jaw takes over the way he does, or when Fox takes over the way he does, who is more unstoppable in your mind? Because I've seen Fox be unstoppable, and I've also seen Fox be stoppable. I've also seen Fox, in a way, stop John ja Morant. But when I watched Jaw play in that Memphis game, I saw him hit shots that there's nothing you could do on the planet to stop that, and that was on a bigger stage. So I, that's where I think this is more open to discussion versus debate. No, and, and I go back, and I don't mean to be limited on my answers, and I also don't mean to in any way, shape, or form go back to the same point, but it's the word resourcefulness, is that I understand that De'Aaron Fox, you could make an argument that he may be more unstoppable as a scorer than John Morant, but that potentially could play into the defensive's hands more easily because you could either just let De'Aaron Fox operate and not let anybody else score, or you can, or if that's all you got, you can attempt to st- contain Fox as much as you can. With John Moran, as you mentioned, and on the levels that he's done it, you know, against Golden State and Golden State, against the best team in the NBA in the playoffs on their home court in Utah, if John Morant is wanting to score, he'll get the job done. He was one of the best fourth quarter players in the NBA his rookie year, obviously showed what he could do on a higher stage than Fox or Morant have been on combined. He showed that he could do what he could do, or setting the Grizzlies franchise record for point scores. If Jaw wants to take over as an ultimate score, he can. But which player is more comfortable going to another part of their offense to add significant value? Jaw's playmaking ability, I think, is much more trustworthy than what De'Aaron can do in that sense. And so that's why I still will take Jaw. But it also comes back down to what do you value? And this question, who do you want? the better individual score right now or the person that has the better combo of scoring and playmaking. If it's the scoring upside, it's De'Aaron Fox. If it's the balance, it's job. Going back to the first question, it's a matter of what you prefer. Do you want the bigger sample size of De'Aaron Fox or do you want the higher platform that Josh showed it on? So that's why you can get different answers on these questions. Two very good questions. Yeah, and there, what you're talking about is two different levels of unstoppable. And there are different, there, unstoppable doesn't just have to be from a scoring standpoint. It can be from, like, stick with me with these comparisons here because they're not completely accurate, but I'm doing, I'm trying to make it make sense to people. De'Aaron Fox. I agree with where you're going. I agree with where you're going, by the De'Aaron's way. De'Aaron's level of unstoppable is the same on the Giannis Antetokounmpo level of unstoppable. Not that they're the same player, but when Fox wants to get to the basket and Fox wants to score, there's almost nothing that you can do to stop him short of fouling him and sending him to the line, which has been one of his biggest weaknesses. With John Morant, I almost attribute it in a way to like the Chris Paul level of unstoppable without the defense, but jaw can score just like Chris Paul can score, but jaw can also facilitate the way that Chris Paul can make everybody around him look like a superstar. How many big men has, has a Chris Paul gotten major contracts, Deandre Jordan, Clint Capella. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. Uh, so those are the different levels of unstoppable uh, that I think we're talking about and which complements both players and, and just continues to this. I think unanswerable conversation. If you put the bias in, it's easy for us to choose. But if you take the bias out and you're just looking at these two players, have no interest rooting wise in these two players and are staring at them. I don't know how you could choose one over the other with any kind of uh, supreme confidence. No, and it makes sense. And the thing that I'll say to that is this, is that, you know, again, we're not saying that Ja or De'Aaron are on the level of a Chris Paul or Giannis. It's very unlikely either one of those players will get there. I will say that on my end, and, and again, it may be biased, it may be whatever, just because of what I've seen from Jaw. If you were to ask me between De'Aaron Fox and Ja Morant, which player 
is more capable of needing to be Giannis-like when he needs to and needing to be Chris Paul-like when he needs to, I think the answer is Ja. Whereas I think with De'Aaron Fox, if you want the closest you can get to a Giannis level right now, it's De'Aaron Fox. So I think that's the way to put it. Not trying to start a debate. I really want to yell at you right now, but we're not going to do that. But at the end of the day, I, I think that that's an excellent way to put it. Is it the ultimate score or the ultimate combo of playmaking slash scoring? Who's going to have the ability to do both in crunch time? I think the upside for both is certainly there for both Fox and Jaw. And I think that we can both create more than logical arguments to support one or the other. But Jaw is the right answer. And the last thing on that is, I disagree, but the, the last thing on that too is, this is where we talk about the the different variables like supporting cast, where, like we said earlier, I think De'Aaron has to be Giannis for the team to win versus Jaw can be the the passive Passive isn't the right word because to be a facilitator, you're not passive, even if you're passing the ball. Uh, Ja can be take a back seat more on scoring and can pass more and set up his teammates more, and that team can still win. Versus if De'Aaron takes that approach, I think the Sacramento Kings are losing, which is an advantage that Ja has over De'Aaron in a lot of ways, but he can't necessarily hold that against either player. The last thing I wanted to talk about though is. Uh, personality. And this is where maybe passive comes into play a little bit more is De'Aaron is always and has always been a lead by example type player. There have been frustrations with myself and Kings fans to where we almost would like to see more dog in De'Aaron to where he is not afraid to pull someone aside. And maybe he does this privately, but he certainly won't do it publicly and get in their face and say, look, this is unacceptable. And when he's played on a team that was as bad defensively as the Kings were last year, you'd almost expect De'Aaron, one, De'Aaron can and needs to be better consistently defensively. And two, you would want De'Aaron as the leader of that team to hold his teammates accountable. He's more of a leader by example. Versus when I watch John Morant, and you can speak to this better than I can, I see someone who is passionate, and Fox is passionate too. When Fox is a big dunk, he'll yell, and if you're jawing at Fox, he'll go right back at you. But when I look at John Morant, I see a established leader, one by example, but also a, a, a vocal locker room leader. Am I accurate there? Yeah, Jaw has a more outward personality than De'Aaron Fox. In the little that I have, inter- see, I, I, I've talked with De'Aaron Fox before. He seems to be a very positive, upstanding, good guy. And But I will say, it does seem like that Jaw is the more outward personality on the court. You can see it on social media as well and things like that. And that's not a knock towards either one of them. De'Aaron Fox is who he is, and and his personality should be what it is for him to be the type of player as good as he is. With John Moran, you see the more outward expressions of competitiveness, confidence, passion, whatever you want to call it. Now, here's where I think that the narrative starts to get interesting for both players, Matt, because when you match their games with Jaw's personality, you start to see the narrative around Jaw being, well, hey, it's got, you've got to feel confident. He's going to be a multiple-time All-NBA player. He's going to be a, a, in the MVP conversation a few years. And if that doesn't wind up being the case for him, is it a bit of a disappointment? Whereas with De'Aaron, you may not have that personality. You may not have as much of a clear narrative. But if he makes All-NBA runs or maybe an MVP one once or twice, it's a surprise. I think that their personalities play a bit into that. And so that's where I think that you start to set the narrative aside. And and this is the other point I want to get into with you is that I do not think it is a disappointment at all. If two years from now, you see Jaw scoring like De'Aaron Fox does. But if you're saying that Jaw Morant is De'Aaron Fox two years from now, I can see people being disappointed because there is a higher expectation of Jaw with how the Grizzlies have played with what was expected of Jaw coming into being a friend, the savior of a franchise right from the start when Memphis drafted him. I think that's what stands out and their personalities feed into that. So whether it's a positive or a negative, you know, that's to debate another time. But I do think that their personalities, as well as was what was expected of them at the start of both of their careers, that's where we start to differ. I think more is expected of Jaw earlier on in his career than may be expected of De'Aaron. And see, that's where I think the you being in Memphis and covering Memphis versus me being in Sacramento, that's where we're, we're just going to differentiate because Fox was looked at the exact same way, even more so in the sense that Fox has been looked at a savior, savior of a franchise that has been terrible for over a decade versus John Morant was a savior of a franchise that just a few years ago had their grit and grind and had their identity and, and, and I've been trying to Great come point. back with that. So, but again, that's, that's just market bias. 
guys. And of course, I'm not going to know that much about Memphis. You're not going to know that much about Sacramento. I think you're 100% correct on personality wise uh, that Jaw does have more of that kind of outward alpha personality than now De'Aaron has the competitiveness and De'Aaron will challenge Jaw to be the alpha if the two are on the same team together. Uh, but outwardly, um, I agree with you there where I, I kind of, I guess, disagree, but agree in a sense is like, I would be surprised if either De'Aaron Fox or John Morant got to the MVP level, but I wouldn't be surprised if John Morant and De'Aaron Fox by the end of their careers, assuming they spend most of their careers, if not all of their careers with their respective teams, if Fox is the best Sacramento King or upwards of the best Sacramento King of all time. And John Morant is upwards of the best Memphis Grizzlies player of all time to where both their jerseys are hung up in their arenas uh, by the end of their careers. That's where I would not be surprised with those two players. And I think that's the expectation for each fan base for those two players. Yeah, and that's where I think, you know, and this is the question that I wanted to ask you, Matt, if that's all right, is that the next level when it comes to these two teams, obviously you can make the argument. I think the Kings probably have a better argument of saying we've had talent on De'Aaron Fox's level before. With Memphis, we've not had a natural talent like John Morant. But where do these two players fit on a championship roster that Kings fans and Grizzlies fans hope eventually come to their home cities. Within an era where we're starting to see the all-time greats start to age a bit, you might be seeing it be more of complete teams than these one uber do-it-all wings. you got Lucas Steele, but you may not see as many LeBron's Kawhis and all that. Where do Jaw and De'Aaron fit as a one or a two or a three on a championship contender? I think that becomes a question as well. I think for both De'Aaron and Jaw, they're going to have to get their shot better from distance to truly, at least at times, being the one on a championship team. But I also think you could see both of them assume a role in time like Trey Young had, and Trey Young's better than both right now on a championship roster. What are your thoughts on that? I don't ever know if Jaw or De'Aaron can be a clear number one on a championship roster, but I could see both of them being a 1B at the very least. Times can assume the role of a 1A on a title contender. I think it's an excellent question. Uh, I think both can be 1As, but a lot of the outside shot and that, that scoring, takeover scoring ability has to be more consistent. I agree with that 100%. Championship seems like such a, a long ways away, but I think if you were to pull 100 NBA fans that had no rooting interest in either the Grizzlies or the Kings, I think uh, the majority would say that they think that John Morant has the ability to be the star on a championship team more than De'Aaron Fox has because they have seen John Morant put up 30 points on that stage. That's, that's where I say, and this is my personal feelings on this. I have no stats or anything to back this up. It's just my personal feeling. And I pray we finally get the opportunity to see it this upcoming season. If De'Aaron Fox gets the stage that John Morant got last year, he is going to change people's minds. Because I have seen a ton of people, I've seen talking heads, heard talking heads, seen on NBA TV, people saying, I don't think De'Aaron Fox can be, like you said, a 1A guy on a championship team. I don't know if he can be the best player on a championship team. Now, again, from a Sacramento perspective, championship seems way far away. Let's just get to the freaking playoffs first for the first time in over a decade before we start talking about championships. But once the Kings do get to the playoffs, that's where people are going to see, oh God, De'Aaron Fox is for real. And if Fox were playing in LA, if Fox were playing in Miami, if Fox were playing in Chicago, everybody would be talking about him way more than they are now because Fox plays in Sacramento. And that's more of how this organization and this city is kind of holding him back a little bit. But once Fox gets that stage, he is going to absolutely shine. Just like it doesn't surprise me at all that when Jaw got that stage, he is going to shine or he did shine. And if Jaw gets an actual seven game series stage, He's going to shine even more. That's the best compliment I can give to both players. So then what I hear you saying, and I agree with everything that you're saying, is that in the time frame that we see this year, the hope is, is that if the Kings probably get to the level that they've been trying to get for a few years, the Grizzlies stay on their level, Matt, we may have a playing game scenario. Absolutely. We may have an elimination game scenario here. So the thing that happens is, is what are we going to wager at that point, number one, we've got a wager that the other has to admit, like you'll have to admit Jaws better than the Aaron. I'll have to admit the Aaron's better than Jaw, at least at that point in time. And in my case, you're also because because I know that your sport interests go outside of Sac or the Kings. 
you're going to have to admit I am the more passionate soccer fan than you as well. Ooh, ooh. Yeah, I'm going to have to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, we both can agree the U.S. men's national team has been disappointing so far. Pulisic is the engine that drives the team that could. He's got to be good for the, you know, the the Concacaf and all that different stuffs going on. I'll admit you probably are more knowledgeable, but you're going to have to admit. Number one, that I'm the more passionate soccer fan. And number two, Zinedine Zidane is the greatest soccer player of all time. You didn't expect that name to be dropped, did you? You did. I, I did not, but consider it a bet, Sean. And I will say this. If we get uh, a play-in round between both teams, which I, I would love if we could shoot higher and get an actual playoff series somehow. Let's say the Kings end up being uh, seven and the, and the Grizzlies are six. And somehow it, it turns out that we get a seven game series, like both teams advance. I don't know how the hell that would work or if that's even possible. Uh, maybe it's even a Western conference finals between the two teams. We can all dream, right? But if we get a play in round, a play in game between both teams, I don't want to waste time right now and say who has the advantage. I don't want, I don't even need to go back and say, Oh, Fox is one more the individual. Screw that. All I'm going to say is the biggest winners in that scenario are NBA fans. Because that game and just the battle between Fox and Morant on that stage would be like those two would steal the show. Even if the Grizzlies won and Kings fans are disappointed or vice versa, the battle between those two would absolutely steal the show. No doubt in my mind. The other thing about it is that stands out to me as well, Matt, is that when it comes to us being having fun with this conversation and debating who's better, not even debating, but just talking about who's better. One thing that certainly comes out of this is two things. Number one, smaller markets get more respect for the some of the best talents in the NBA that they can feature, that are the, the best players on their team. That benefits the smaller markets. And we're seeing smaller markets continue to see their importance rise with Giannis's great season and finally winning the title that we saw last year. But the depth of stars in the NBA also continues to raise. As we go into a new era, where you may start to see a lot more frequent change of who the best top five players or face of the league is over the next generation of NBA stars than there were this year. So the more opportunity you get to see these matchups of De'Aaron Fox and Jaw, Trey and Jaw on national stages, whatever it may be, that is certainly a good thing for not only smaller markets, but also the NBA in general. Couldn't agree with you more. Well, in the end, Sean, it sounds like you're sticking with Jaw. It sounds like I'm sticking with De'Aaron Fox. No surprise there, but still a great conversation. Fun to uh, see how similar these players are in a lot of ways. It's going to be fun to watch these players. I think the, the best thing that we can hope for is that Jaw remains a, a grizzly for a long time and Fox remains a king for a long time so that we see these talents doing what they can do for a small market uh, versus taking their talents elsewhere. And then we have to, to sit with the pains of what could have been. But a great conversation with you, Sean. I look forward to having you back on we need to do another crossover pod before the kings and grizzlies meet or maybe even after the kings and grizzlies play uh, for the first time this upcoming season because we expect those games to be a lot of fun uh, and maybe we have a we're having a completely different conversation one player certainly stands out more than the other in a lot more of a way by the end of next season than they do right now i appreciate the conversation my friend